What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian, and I'm joined with Nick. What's going on, guys? All right, so happy Mother's Day to everyone. Happy Mother's Day to Nick, and I guess your mom. Um, Thanks. <laughs> we're going to start off with a little something different. Nick, I guess Nick will explain it, but we're going to do a little trivia in the beginning. But, Nick, you can take that away. Uh, sure. So, ultimately, this is I'm kind of doing this because of the coronavirus. We don't have that much sports topics to cover, so I figure I can another slot as well as it's kind of fun to do it's something interesting to add to the podcast uh admittedly this was taken from a podcast i had recently done um you know i could put this in the nfl section but i guess i'll do it now i did a giants uh draft podcast with one of our affiliates uh sports the sports outside the box um with i believe his name is dennis uh really nice guy it was a really fun podcast go check it out um you can find it all over our instagram if you want to check his podcast out. But what he did, he, at the beginning of the podcast, he gave me some trivia to do about the Giants, which I got every single one wrong. Um, it was it was kind of fun. It, it kind of interesting to see how little I know as a Giants fan. I mean, given all the questions he had given me were, I think the earliest related question would, would have been like 2007, 2009 about the Super Bowls. You know, at that at that time, I was nine years old. I didn't know all the players, you know, I knew Eli Manning and I knew maybe like Plaxico Burris, but you know, who our draft pick was in 2007 was totally out of the realm of what I know. Um, you know, if you ask me 2014 on, I can give you, I can give you who we drafted the, pretty much for every round. But, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I kind of fall short. Um, so how I'm going to structure the trivia is I'm going to ask Brian the questions and he'll try and answer them. Um, and, and then we'll, you know, you guys can play along as well. Um, I'm going to do a baseball question, a basketball question, and a football question since that's what we cover weekly. So three questions. Uh, one from each. Yeah, three questions. Um, you know, it's going to be multiple choice. And so for this week, uh, going into the questions, uh, for the first question, I'm going to do baseball. So my baseball question is, uh, who was the sixth pick? In the 1992 uh, MLB draft, was it Johnny Damon, Jason Giambi, Alex Rodriguez, or Derek Jeter? You said sixth pick, right? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of, I have, I kind of made up the other choices in my head, but I'll go through them again. Jason yeah. Giambi, uh, Alex Rodriguez, um, Derek Jeter. I forgot who was the last person I put. Um. Well, I guess it's not him then. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Um, uh, draft I just thought of, I just thought of this just now, so I'm definitely gonna have to work this out better for next week, but yeah. Uh nineteen ninety two draft. Hmm. I think Derek Jeter was drafted. Uh Derek Jeter? Yeah, that is the correct answer. Derek Jeter was taken sixth overall out of Kalamazoo Central High School, uh to the the Yankees obviously. 1992 draft best uh, shortstop of all time. I think I knew that because I had found a card a while back that we had, and it's like a 1992 draft pick, and it's Derek Jeter. So that helps. There you go. Well, the other ones I have, I have the choices. It's all by the way. All these, all these questions are going to be draft based. Oh, great. Uh, coming off of uh, what I had, uh, you know, with the Sports Outside the Box podcast, mm-hmm. it just it's a ring in my head. Uh, so the next one, I'm going to do basketball. These choices I have are a lot better. Um, I definitely, I know the choice is better in my head. So, um, so this question is who was the third overall pick in the 1984 draft? Uh, a Hakeem Olajuwon, B Charles Barkley, C Michael Jordan, or D Otis Thorpe? 
1984 draft, the third overall pick. A, Hakeem Olajuwon, B, Charles Barkley, C, Michael Jordan, or D, Otis Thorpe? I'm going to go with Otis Thorpe. That is incorrect. It was Michael Jordan, really? the third overall pick in the 1984 draft. Okay, well, that's bad that I didn't know that. Interestingly enough, you know, I, I kind of thought of this one based off of the uh, the Last Dance mm-hmm. uh, ESPN Which I didn't uh, documentary series uh, that I've been watching, but also, um, you know, I just think it's kind of interesting how, like, Akeem, you know, as Rockets fans, we always, you know, there's always like this contemplation whether you know the Rockets took Akeem Olajuwon mm-hmm. with the first overall pick in the 1984 draft, and he turned out to be a Hall of Famer, yeah. right? But we could have had Michael Jordan. So, you know, who would you rather have? You know, it's kind of split between the fan base 50 50. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. if I had to choose, I probably would go Michael Jordan because he was just that much better. Yeah. But, you know, Akeem Lajuan won won the Rockets championships. Um, He was really good with the Rockets, and you can't uh, can't knock him. Was Charles Barkley in 1984? He was. He was the fifth overall pick that year. Oh, okay. And Otis Thorpe was the ninth overall pick. Damn. All right. Um, so there you go. All right, for the last question, we got football draft. Um, this one's going to be based off of my favorite draft of all time uh, in terms of football. This is my favorite football draft of all time. I just think it's really interesting. Um, so my question is, who's going to be – who was the fourth overall pick in the 1989 NFL draft? A, Troy Aikman, B, Barry Sanders, C, Derek Thomas, or D, Deion Sanders? Again, who was the fourth overall pick in the 1989 NFL Draft? A. Troy Aikman, B. Barry Sanders, C. Derek Thomas, or D. Barry Sanders, or Deion Sanders rather? Uh, this is going to be a complete guess. I'm going to do what I used to do in school and do any me my mo in my head. Whatever C was. That was the correct answer. Good guess. Derek Thomas, linebacker out of Alabama. Um, rest rest in peace, Derek Thomas. He died in a car crash, I believe, around the year 2000. Um, I, again, this draft is one of my favorite drafts because at number one, you had Troy Aikman. I did those ABCD in order. At number one, you had Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Troy Aikman and uh, in, in that 90s Dallas Cowboys team was incredible. Um, you know you know about Troy Aikman. Uh, the second overall pick, interestingly enough, was a guy by the name of Tony Mandarich. He was a six 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 offensive tackle out of Michigan State, and he had you know like four six three speed. He, he was huge. He could bench all this, and he was like the best offensive line prospect of all time. Mm. A couple years down the road, he was terrible. He was doing a ton of steroids in college, and he couldn't do it in the NFL because they were more strict about it. And he was just awful in the, in in, uh, in the NFL. So he was a, gr- a big right. bust for Green Bay at that two two pick. Um, with a third overall pick, Barry Sanders, you know, Detroit Lions Hall of Famer running back. Uh, at Oklahoma State. Four, you obviously had Derek Thomas, which I just talked about. And then at five, you had the Atlanta you had Atlanta Falcons, Deion Sanders, who everybody knows greatest corner DB of all time, pretty much there. Um, you know, this draft just has a ton of like great talent as well as some really interesting characters. At the thirteenth overall pick, you had Eric Metcalf. He was a wide receiver out of Texas, who I believe is the uncle of DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough there, you had Steve Atwater go to the Broncos at number twenty. Um, you know, just just a ton of great talent in this draft, and it's just you know really interesting to see how all these players panned out. Like especially the top five, there's such great players that came out of the top five. It's probably the best top five that's ever came out of a draft. 
and it's like when when you're an NFL team and you're picking top five, that's the type of draft you want to have. You want to get those players in your top five picks. So not for the Packers, uh, though. Yeah, not 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 for the Packers, though. The Packers messed up big time. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I was, I think that was pretty good. Yeah, um, maybe we'll definitely next week, do another. One. I'll think of some questions. You'll think of some questions, and then we'll ask each other. There you go. Um, so that covers the the little trivia section of uh, our our new little trivia section. <laughs> So moving on from there, we have the NFL. Nothing really to talk about this week. Um, in terms of news, obviously not a lot. Uh, the Jets signed Frank Gore, which I'm sure Brian will talk about in a second. Um, the Saints released Larry Warford, who is a pretty long in place as their offensive guard, and he's now gone. The Jaguars like Mike Glennon. He just doesn't give up. This man is, you know, he, he's 30, but he's been he's been around the blocks of almost every NFL team, so it's just interesting to see where he goes. Uh, the Cowboys signed Andy Dalton. I can't remember if we talked about it in last week's podcast at what point yeah, he, we he had been signed. We did? Okay. Um, so, yeah, the Cowboys signed Andy Dalton as a backup. Uh, Don Shula had, had passed away this week. Mm. Um, RIP to Don Shula, um, one of the great, you know, one of the, if not one of the greatest coach in NFL history, uh, had the most wins in NFL history. Uh, he finished with a 257 and 133 record with the Dolphins, um, and then he also coached as the Baltimore Colts, the Baltimore Colts, and he went 71 and 23 there. Um, you know, a lot of wins, um, 328 in total. Uh, he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1997. Um, you know, he, he's one of those guys. You know, the, the coaches back in the younger NFL days, I'm talking from the 60s to the 90s were like really integral parts of the team. Um, nowadays it's more, I would say player base, but more back in the day, it was more about, you know, the franchise and the coach rather than the players in terms of who was in the spotlight. So, you know, Don Shula making the NFL part of it was today, you know, he was a really big guy in, in the NFL and it's sad we had to see him pass. Um, you know, on, on the positive sides, he was, at least he was 90. So he had lived a, a long life, but, uh, RIP to Don Shula. Um, other than that, I guess, Brian, what are your thoughts on the Jets signing Frank Gore? I honestly, like, forgot that that was this week. But um, in terms of my I, – I don't really understand it because um, Adam Gase, like, two weeks ago had said that he wanted to open up everything for Le'Veon Bell, um, which was supposed to make Le'Veon Bell's job easier but also give Le'Veon Bell um, – a bigger part of the offense and um, adding Frank Gore seems to take away from Le'Veon Bell's uh, position on the team. The only positive I see from Frank Gore, them signing Frank Gore is that he's known as like a really good leader in the locker room. And um, I remember him and Josh Allen had a really good relationship on the bills. And I would hope that would happen with him and Sam Darnold. Um, obviously he's not a quarterback, so he can't like, coach Sam Darnold but that relationship could really be helpful and especially in the Jets locker room that would be helpful as well um the one another positive I guess I don't remember the running back's name that they drafted in the in the draft this year but having Frank Gore be in your locker room with a young running back could really um impact do you remember his name the running back they drafted no no clue oh, the is the Jets they drafted a running back yeah uh, let's just say the running back they drafted, it could have a big impact on his future, which I think could really help. Frank Gore's season last year for the Bills wasn't anything great. Um, so I don't expect him to have a big role on the Jets and really 
make their offense that much better. And I'm was looking forward to Le'Veon Bell having a bigger impact on the team than he did last year. And the running back's name was Michael Perrin of Florida, well, in Perrin. particular. Um, yeah, I just think Frank Gore is like a really good guy to have on the team. Yeah. Uh, he's 36 years old, and he's still putting up, you know, at the same time, it wasn't anything significant. You know, putting up 600 yards at the age of 35 as a running back in the NFL is pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, Frank Gore has been so good for so long. He's just one of those underrated underrated running backs in NFL history. Um, when you look at his his production, he had seventeen hundred yards in in two thousand and six. You know, I'm not as big on on touchdowns because he he's never scored you know an incredible amount of touchdowns in a season. The most he's had ever had is ten, um, which is a good amount. But you know, I think yards is more uh, more of a factor in terms of what a running back produces than a touchdown because there's there's, t- there's people like Legarrette Blunt that you've given running back you give him the ball at the one yard line, he pushes it over and he gets a touchdown, but he's not putting as many yards yeah. as other running backs are. Um, but I digress. He had he had you know seventeen hundred yards in two thousand and six. Uh, he had a plus a thousand. He had over a thousand yards in two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, two thousand sixteen. You know, two, and then he, he's put up you know nine hundred sixty one yards in two thousand seventeen, uh, seven hundred and twenty two with Miami in twenty eighteen, and then he went to Buffalo as of last year and he put up six hundred yards. You know, he's declining, but I think he's a really good value for what you're getting in terms of he's a good guy for the locker room, good veteran. And he's still pretty productive at a, at a really late age for a running back. So I think he's such an interesting character in terms of, you know, why doesn't he get the recognition that, you know, some of the NFL greats have gotten? You know, he's definitely up there. It's yeah, just a question true. of why. He's definitely a good Maybe because he's not as flashy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's not as flashy. He, he's not, you know, he, he's just a good running back. So he picks good holes mm-hmm. and he, he gets the yards that he can. He's not the most explosive or more flashy. So he might not get on the TV as much. You know, who knows? At the end of the day, but it's, I think it's a good signing for the Jets. Yeah, I think so too. I just the only thing I worry about is like Adam Gase has been so weird about Le'Veon Bell ever since they signed they uh, traded for him. Mm-hmm. So it does. Wait, they signed him ever since they. Uh, yeah, so I I'm just worried that he's going to use Frank Gore more, not more, but take away from Le'Veon Bell's role on the team. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I think that Adam Gase's perspective is that he's not re- he's kind of in the same market with the majority of the NFL that say running backs are just not valued in today's yeah. game and he he didn't agree with signing Le'Veon Bell to such a big so contract. Much, yeah. He 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 probably figured that we we the jet the we meaning the Jets would benefit a lot more from spending that money elsewhere other than a running back and then drafting a guy like Michael Perrin who can fill, you know, if you fix the offensive line and then you get a, a solid running back to run through the holes and, you know, you really don't need to pay somebody like Le'Veon Bell hundreds of millions of dollars to do so. Um, so I'm assuming that's probably Adam Gase's perspective. Yeah, but once you sign a guy, you're not you shouldn't be blatantly like. 100. Like, percent Yeah, he, sh- he should have he should have given it up at that point. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's just Adam Gase and his inability to be a successful head coach in the NFL. Yep. Up to this okay. point, and hopefully now maybe he'll turn the Jets coach, Maybe he'll turn yeah. around. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll turn it around. Who knows? Maybe. Okay. Um, yeah. Other than that, uh, you know, in terms of the NFL news, there's, there's some talks of reopening training facilities hasn't really gone into action yet. Mm. Uh, you know, and this goes for the NBA too, which Brian will get into in a second. But you know, it, it's kind of when these cities open up and whenever these places open up, that's when the NFL and the NBA and all these sports uh, ventures are going to look to open up their training facilities. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of time. Of you know, are these cities going to open up, and if so, what are the rules and regulations? And that's how these these private uh, organizations like the NFL and are probably going to have go forward. That's probably what they're going to follow going forward. 
than that, not much NFL news. I'll hand it over, Brian, for the NBA. All right. So, um, like Nick said, basically the NBA, what they're doing um, is waiting till uh, different areas finally get to be able to reopen. Um, a big thing that the NBA taking into account is testing, which I'm sure the NFL is doing as well. But the NBA is trying to be right around the corner and start the season at some point. Um, so basically what I want to talk about, Adam Silver had a player's, all, it was called like an all-players phone call. Um, it wasn't really all the players. I would assume they either picked the players that were there or whoever wanted to be in it. It ended up being, um, where is this? So it was Adam Silver, the executive director, Michelle, Michelle Roberts, MB, uh, NBA Players Association president, Chris Paul, also a player, obviously, and several other players that were there. Um, basically what it was is how the NBA is going to combat the coronavirus, the future of the NBA and stuff like that, as you would expect it to be. Um, the players had a chance to ask him questions and some important things that I want to touch on came up in it. First off, um, the NBA is expected to take a huge, uh, economic hit as most leagues would, but he kind of, uh, line noted that, um, 40% of the revenue the NBA makes is from, uh, like game nights at arenas. So that could be concessions, ticket prices. Um, I don't know anything. What else is that games, whatever, anything like that. 40%, uh, goes, comes from those games, but there's not going to be fans for a while. So that's a big hit to their uh, money that they're going to have. I think his quote that he said, is going to be like probably one of the toughest times in our life, in our lives or something like that, which is kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. They're still making a lot of money, but that's basically what he said. And that was all he had to say about the economic side of things. Um, but from there, he said there's going to be no decision on when the t- season's going to open up in May or even in the beginning of June. He said there's no reason to um, even give a date because he knows it's not going to happen at those points. So he's holding off till there's more information about the coronavirus. And that's been really the NBA's take on this whole thing. There ha- still hasn't been enough information for them to really make a decision about when the season's going to start. Um, he then talked about two places that he thought would make the most sense for the NBA to reopen in, which is Orlando and Las Vegas. And we talked about this last week with Las Vegas. Um, but it's very similar to the Arizona idea for baseball that they would all be, all the players, all the teams would be housed in one area and start the season from there, which does make sense. Um, but the obvious thing, which the MLB has tried to get around is having teams being able to play in their own cities. But it seems like the NBA is not going to go that direction. Um, the next thing he wants, whenever the season returns, um, that it the traditional playoff structure with the um, seven-game series and all that stuff. The only thing that he did leave up to possibly doing is having uh, play, play-in play tournaments for the teams that are, like, right on the cusp of being in the playoffs, like maybe the nine-tenth seeds. He didn't, really su- he didn't really say who would be in these play-in tournaments as it's, like, not really an official idea, but it's just something that he left open. But that is interesting because one of the things we had talked about is what are you going to do for the teams that are right there maybe like one two games out of the being in the playoff race what are you going to do for those teams because there is a chance that they could have made the playoffs if the season had been as long as it usually is um so he said that that is a possibility it would be interesting if that is the case because that could give a lot of teams the opportunity to make the playoffs um 
the next thing, the start of the next season, will probably push into December. We talked about this last week, so there's not much there to really talk about. And then the last thing that he really came out, came from it, is that, oh, I did skip something. Oh, no, that's above that. Okay, so he wants... He wants there to be enough testing so that if a player comes down with the coronavirus during the season, um, it's not like there has to be an NBA shutdown. It's not like the team has to stop playing games. That it'll eventually be able to get to the point where that player would just be taken out of the picture and everyone else could still keep playing. Um, and that brings me into my next point. Um, as uh, Nick had hinted at, teams are going to start opening up their facilities to practice and everything in places that um, lockdown has basically been taken away or not been as hard, as um, strict. So, basically, he's... The Magic uh, are um, opening up their facilities on Tuesday, and basically the reason they're able to do this is because um, there's going to be enough corona te- te- coronavirus testing for these players to be able to be tested and it to not take away from the supply of medical workers or other people in need that there's enough testing now in places like Orlando um, for there to be tests for these NBA teams that have asymptomatic players and staff, and they can be able to test them. Um, The next teams that are planning to open up are the Clippers and the Lakers, and Los Los Angeles' mayor, I guess his name, Eric Garcetti, maybe, um, said that um, testing is going to be available for all residents, um, and it's not just going to be healthcare workers and frontline workers, basically meaning that uh, Lakers and the Clippers will be able to have enough testing to start, um, co- maybe not constantly, but consistently testing their players to be able to reopen the facilities, which is basically their take on when all these facilities are going to start to be open, opened up. I would imagine that the Knicks and the Nets are going to be probably one of the last two um, teams to really open up in terms of New York sports just because of how bad it's been in um, New York and um, that the lockdown isn't ending till June 6th, which is a recent thing. Um, <clears throat> that's really it for the NBA. In terms of baseball, there's not really anything new. Um, one of the minor things is that um, they reported that really one of the biggest concerns for baseball players, not only like getting through the coronavirus, but also... Um, having fair um, pay, and that includes everyone from the minor leaguers to the major leaguers. Obviously, I think it's more important for the minor leaguers because they get paid such a significant, such a minimal amount of money compared to uh, major leaguers. So I think that's one of the things that they want to be able to take care of. That's really it for baseball. Um, Any comments, Nick? Uh, Not really. You know, just, you know, everything is kind of on its path back to normal. Obviously, it's going to take some time, but, uh, you know, I'll have to see how things go. And obviously, again, these private organizations are going to follow what the government basically says yeah. um, in terms of what's open versus what's not, and, 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 and then discuss how they're going to approach that mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, moving from the MLB to college stuff, um, obviously not any major news Going on, uh, I would like to have a solo, somewhat of a discussion. Um, so, with college basketball now being over, pretty much officially, officially for the 2020 season, everyone's looking towards the next season. And I think I've seen, you know, roughly about 10 pre- solidified pre-rankings for the teams going into the 2020 season next year for college basketball. 
Um, and, you know, that includes like NBC Sports, CBS Sports, Sports Illustrated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think I have somewhat of a general consensus um, on, on what teams are going to be like the top four. Um, and those top fours being so far, number one, I've seen almost every single, you know, I've seen them almost some, I would say the majority of these pre-rankings have Villanova at one, which is pretty exciting with the fact that I go to Villanova. I'm hoping we will be number one. Um, so, you know, that's a team to look out for in terms of next year. Um, number two, there's been Gonzaga in the mix. Uh, Gonzaga's keeping a lot of guys, and they, they were really hot this year, so they expect them to continue that. Uh, three is going to be Baylor, um, and then four, Virginia. Those are, you know, consistently. And th- by the way, that, that's off of NBC Sports, that list I just read off of. But I would say that's kind of the general consensus in these the college basketball sports universe. Um, that that was that that those are the top four teams going into next year, and those are the teams to beat. Um, I'm excited for college basketball season next year, even though it's not for some time. But I do love me some college basketball. We'll see where we go from there. Um, other than that, not much college stuff. Brian, any comments? No. Was no, no, no. NYU okay. listed anywhere? What'd you say? Was NYU sports listed anywhere? NYU sports are not listed anywhere because NYU does not have any sports teams. <laughs> do they? Have, they don't have any sports teams, right? No. Uh, I think they're like they do. Um, I mm. don't. Not Division One though. I don't know. Yeah, I know that. Not a, not, a, not any major Division One sports. Yes. <laughs> I feel like NYU would have a pretty sick basketball team if they started one. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd be on that. <laughs> <laughs> Brian would be first one to sign up. He'd be like, sign me up, coach. Um, other than that, um, kind of a new category for this week is going to be USC 249. Um, you know, not any major fights that went on last night. This is, again, this happened last night, USC 249. But it's more about the fact that it did happen. Um, kind of interesting. I watched little clips of it here and there. It seems as if the refs had masks on, which is interesting. Um, obviously, there's nobody in the, sp- the stands. Um, some interesting points about it was when the fighters were fighting, you could hear them trash talking each other and, and all like the grunts and, and et cetera, et cetera, which you normally can't hear during a fight. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, if nobody got sick, which I'm assuming the UFC is definitely putting a lot of testing forwards, you know, before and after the fight. Um, if nobody got sick, you know, this is a, this is kind of the first successful run that we've seen in America in, in sports returning. Um so really interesting stuff there. Again, not, not any really major fights. Nobody that's worthwhile mentioning in terms of people who are not into as as into UFC like me and Brian, or I would say the majority of our listeners. But uh, you know, definitely interesting to see that sports returned in that fashion. Uh, moving on from there to our last topic, uh, pretty short podcast today. Obviously, the news has been really, really minimal this week. Um, and the controversial topic, obviously, being the coronavirus. Um, you know, not even that much news on that really. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of slowly returning things back to normal. The majority of states are somewhere in the range between, I would say, May 5th was the reopening date to like June 5th. You know, within that range, all these states uh, plan on reopening. Um, you know, and, and reopening with the fact that you are still keeping social distancing in effect. We're still wearing masks. We're still doing things that help protect us, like, you know, extra cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. But allowing some businesses like hair salons and, and stuff like that to reopen in order to you know, feed their families for the people that work there, as well as offer some services for people that want to go out and and remain safe. Um, You know, obviously with the death tolls and the hospitalizations declining, you know, we're we're quite over the peak at this point, which is good news. Um, You know, treatments are still being worked on. Uh, Remdesivir seems to be still having good effects and and not too many negatives. It seems like the route that the medical 
world is going at this point. Um, there has been some pushback for hydroxychloroquine being a good treatment, but uh, some you know a lot of the tests have shown negative results. As um, so, it, it's definitely more hesitant on that line. Um, so you know, it should be interesting to see how we go from here on out. But you know, ultimately, good news. Um, it still looks like we're going to have a death toll over 100,000, which which is pretty terrible. Um, but at the same time, you know, looking at it on the bright side, you know, we have we have 50 to 70,000 people die from the flu each year. So to have 100 to 150,000 people die from a pandemic like this, you know, obviously no deaths are good. But in the reality of the world, people are going to die. And the fact that we had such a, a big pandemic that's such a communicable disease and only have that many deaths is, is relatively a good thing mm-hmm. um, to see less people die rather than more. Um, other than that, uh, some interesting stuff in the news has been there's been, there's been a lot of pushback to reopen. Um, and more interestingly, news which has become a national news story at this point. There was a woman down in Dallas who has a hair salon. That's why oh, that's yeah. what the first business that came to my mind. Um, I forget her name. However, the situation went like this: she had been closed since the shutdown. Um, a lot of her employees been complaining. You know, I can't afford anything. Can we please reopen? I need to you know feed my family with some money. I, I need to earn some money. Um, and she went to the courts and she asked to reopen and they told her no, she opened up anyway. Um, and then within a few days, they had called her back into court, held her in contempt of the court order to not have her open and they arrested her. She was in jail for about seven days. Um, she just got released, uh, via direction of the attorney general in Texas and we have to see where it goes from here. She may sue the court for maybe overstepping. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near a lawyer, but I, I do, you know, from from a common sense standpoint, do you have the right to arrest somebody for op- for opening up like that? Um, and apparently, when she did open up a hair salon, she was still practicing social distancing. She had apparently removed things like magazines and things that could c- contain contaminants um, from her hair salon. She had minimal customers in at once, type of thing going on in her hair salon. So she was doing it safely. And ultimately, it comes down to the question of, you know, how much control does the government get to have over us, even in times of of panic like we are in? Um, secondarily to that, does the government have the right to, you know, presumably if you violate something that has to do with the coronavirus, you're not, you know, by opening up your business. From my understanding, that's more of a, something you can get fined. It's not something you can get jailed for. And if you defy that, is are you are you in such contempt of court that you're allowed to be jailed? Again, that, that would have to be something a lawyer would have to answer and not me. But from a common sense standpoint, it's like how much control does the government have? And, you know, me personally, I, I don't want the government to have that much control over me. I think she should be allowed to reopen her business. She's doing it safely. You know, in my in my personal opinion, the way that the U.S. is structured, it should be, you know, we should be allowed to, to live our own lives and go out to the beaches, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we don't have the right to infect other people, right? You know, other people have the right to be, sick, you know, sick-free and not be coughed on, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where the line is really hard to draw. I'm not sure there's an easy answer there, but, I, you know, me personally, I lean more towards the freedom side than I do – um, the government control. Um, you know, a little off topic of sports, but I just thought it was really interesting. It's kind of the biggest thing in the news right now, above and beyond sports. Um, you know, it's really interesting to me. Um, Brian, do you have any any comments on that? Um, not really. I mean, I I only heard about it. I didn't really look into it. So mm-hmm. I don't really have any thing to say. But I, I yeah, but I, I guess you know Brian might feel uncomfortable talking about it. That's fine. But not or not, you know, I, I really can't tell. But uh, it, it's it's really a tough thing to like talk about in terms of like how much control should the government have? And, and you know, at the end of the day, there is, no, in my opinion, and I think any sensible person would have this opinion. There's no easy answer because it's like, should people have the right to go infect each other 
you know, how bad is the disease? Uh, you know, how bad does the disease have to be where the government has the right to say, you know what, you can't leave your house, you're going to infect other people, you're going to spread this. Yeah, it's such a tough line to draw. And it's such a tough thing to, especially when the data is coming out, you know, who's lying, like, you know, China's apparently lying about their data, What? how many deaths told, you know, all these numbers, they're, they're there, but we don't know how accurate they are. So it, it's hard to make huge public policy and health decisions based on numbers that might not even be real. It, you know, there's no easy answer here. And I think the media, is, I'm sure the media in terms of like outside sports is going to be super critical of the Trump administration, as well as any any state governor that chooses to reopen or, or keep closed, whatever, whatever they decide to choose. You know, if they choose to remain closed, I'm sure that people like Fox News will go and attack those those governors. And if they choose to open up, I'm sure people like CNN and MSNBC will go and attack will will um will attack those governors. So it's it, there's no easy answer here. And I think, um, you know, as like normal people, we just need to be need to realize that these governors and the government, you know, no matter what choice they choose, it's not going to be easy and they're, they're going to struggle with the decision. And they're, you know, I, I, there's also like this, this thing that like Dr. Fauci's out to get us. He's a super villain that set this all up. You know, I personally, I don't believe in those things. You know, let's be realistic here. I think everyone's trying to do their best with this, with the situation at hand, um, especially with the numbers not being hundred percent accurate. We really don't know what's going on. I think as Americans and as a government, everyone's just trying to do their best right now. Um, so I, I don't know. That, that's my opinions on, on the whole coronavirus situation as of right now. Um, other than that, I don't have much else to say, and I guess Brian does not either. No. Okay, um, so that about ends our podcast, All right. right? Yeah. All right. Um, so any final remarks? I'm taking over Brian. I know Brian normally says that each week. <laughs> um, final remarks this week. Uh, not much to happen. I just finished up college. College. I still have a little bit of uh, my EMT work to do. Have my final next Saturday. It's about 500 questions, four hours. Um, really confused on what I'm going to do for the summer because I don't know what a jobs I can apply to, let alone jobs that I will get. Yeah. Uh, do I apply to work at our town camp? Will it be open? Um, do they have jobs left? Can they afford to pay people? Yeah. Uh, do I go work as an EMT, even though I, I tried earlier and they told me no because of the pandemic? Is it? You know, can I even become an EMT? Can I go take the test? So many unanswered questions in my life right now, and I really don't know what to do. I'm kind of just sitting waiting around until I finish up ENT and then I'll probably go and apply places and see what happens. Mm. Um, other than that, none of my person, enough of my personal business, but you know, just interesting. I'm sure a lot of you are in the same boat where you're like, what do I do right now? Because I had this internship lined up, you know, especially if you're a college student, I had this internship lined up for the summer to help my, my future career. It just got canceled. I'm looking for a job. You know, do I get a job? It's like minimal paying, like, I don't know, DoorDash where, yeah, I can make a little bit of money, but it's not really something I can put on a resume. You know, I'd rather have something I could put on a resume and probably make less money because it'll help my future. I mean, that's about all, man. I can't talk for you guys, but I'd say a lot of people are in that boat. Um, you know, and who's hiring right now with, with how bad the economy is? It's it's not an easy decision, and especially for somebody like me that's going to apply to med school mm. and looking forward is like they're going to look at this summer and they're going to see, wow, he did nothing. You know, but at the same time, they're going to be like, okay, there was a coronavirus. Yeah. You know, how, you 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 can't tell how the those medical. Uh, schools are going to react in terms of when they're looking at an application. And it's, I guess it's going to be a lot in how you write your essays and how you explain what happened. Um, that should be interesting there. And there's also like a lot of classes in college right now are like pass-fail. Mm. I don't know if I can pass-fail some of my classes because will medical schools accept those grades. But if I do if I do take a pass on it, then it's not going to affect my GPA and my GPA is going to be that much higher yeah. so that I would look at my GPA higher. But if they don't take the, the pass-fail, then I can't take that either. So a lot of unanswered questions, and I'm kind of lost right now. Um, other than that, um, you know, you guys can contact me. If you guys have any questions about anything, 
whether it be sports related or not, uh, feel free to contact me at my Instagram at nick.horvath. Uh, on my Twitter at nickhorvath61 or at my email at nicholashorvath10 at yahoo.com. Um, hope you guys are still safe. You're still happy. Um, you know, you're all, everybody in your family is doing well. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Other than that, I'm going to head over to Brian. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of going through the same thing as Nick. Obviously, I'm not going to be applying to medical school, but uh, my school is offering us to do two pass-fail classes out of our four. Um, so it's kind of different from what a lot of schools are doing, which is like just – is Villanova like telling – well, I guess not, but – I know a lot of schools are just saying it's pass fail for the rest of the semester, not going to. So Villanova gives you the option of going pass fail for any single class that you want, and you could pe- as long as you get a C in the class, you can go pass fail, mm. and you could you can you choose you can choose pass fail a day after the grades come out. Oh wow, it, it's a lot of freedom there. That's but with more choice, it becomes hard. You know, me personally, I've always had if I have. I think it's kind of common between everybody and just humans in general. Mm-hmm. When you have more choices, it becomes harder to make a single choice versus yeah. like if you have option A or option B, pretty easy. But if you got options A through D, huh. you know it becomes harder and harder to make a single choice. So it, it, you know, I have to. I'm trying to weigh the benefits and, and the cons right now, and I really can't come to a decision. Um, but yeah. I, your situation seems to be different. Yeah. So, like, we get to do two classes, and I've been trying to like. We have to decide before finals start, so by Tuesday, actually. Um, I would It would be awesome if I could decide after, but whatever. So basically, I've been like trying to figure out what my grade is going to be, what I need to get on the final, what I need to get on the final paper, things like that, to decide which classes I want to do pass-fail. Um, I'm definitely going to do two of the classes pass-fail. I just still have to decide which ones, but I've like been thinking in my head, what are like future employers going to think about, like, oh, this kid took these classes pass-fail, pass was his grade that bad or things like that but then again like it'll be interesting how people look back at this pandemic and think and like think about was this kid just being lazy or was he actually going through things like that's gonna be interesting um but yeah so I just have finals left for college and then that's done and then my camp that I'm still working at is still I guess open I haven't really gotten any word about that but um Hopefully that stays open. I really enjoy working at camp. But other than that, that's really it. Um, not much else. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back next week. Let us know what you thought of this. You can DM us. Um, if any comments, like I said, DM us. Uh, check out our videos on YouTube, our articles on our website, uh, point of views on our Instagram and the cinematics that we also post there. If you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, any way you think you'd help, contact the sport universe 2019 at gmail.com and other than that thanks for listening